you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I've told you before that for me, seminary was uh, an eye-opening experience. It was the first time in my life that people were giving me tools to unpack scripture in ways that let me ask questions, that let me say, this, this seems weird, what's going on here? Help me understand this, let's, let's unpack it. Uh, my first semester, I took a class in inductive Bible study. Uh, and the, kind of the whole premise of this class is, set aside your presuppositions, and come and read the text carefully. It seems fairly straightforward, right? But they give you this process to say, okay, well, I thought it meant this, but let's see what it really means. Let's uh, take the structure of the book and see how it informs our reading. Let's ask questions about the author's uh, atmosphere they're setting. Let's explore the grammatical structure. Let's uh, look through the history of interpretation and see what this text is trying to say to us. And from that moment on, I was hooked. I was uh, in the registrar's office trying to find out how I could take more of these classes. And at that point, the only way was to add a second degree. So I added a master's in biblical studies and got to do every one of the nerdiest, fun classes in the seminary's world. Brian's laughing because he knows what I'm talking about. Uh, I got to take classes that uh, don't maybe translate week after week, but but in some ways enliven uh, my soul and and help me come to the text in ways that maybe lets God breathe fresh in this living word. I got to take stuff like the text criticism course of the New Testament where we explored uh, our manuscript tradition and see uh, how many manuscripts we have from, from these early times. We have better attestation to our scriptures than we do to Shakespeare. We have closer witnesses to our New Testament text than to the originals by uh, Homer and, and that crowd. We got to explore... Uh, the, the group of scribes who gave us our tradition that was the King James Version and this other group uh, who gave us kind of our more modern translations. Uh, and I loved it. I got to take advanced Hebrew grammar where we trace things like the move from Proto-Semitic uh, to Hebrew and to Arabic. To Arabic. So uh, Shalom and Hebrew and Salam and uh, Arabic and how, how they came together. We got to study uh, Akkadian loan words. This is Bill Arnold's uh, jam. Akkadian loan words in the Hebrew Bible uh, Joseph in his multicolored coat, his, uh, you know, technicolor dream coat, if you will, uh, is, is a uh, word that only occurs one time in the Hebrew Bible, and it's, uh, we only know what it means because of uh, appealing to Akkadian. I got to uh, take classes that helped me understand uh, the life of Israel in the midst of exile, to, to begin to wrestle with, how does a people who've seemingly lost all their promises still trust in the one who makes promises? Got to spend time uh, in the New Testament text, uh, learning how to look at words in different ways. Uh, My my first kind of uh, breakthrough was looking in the English text of John 3. Some translations say that you have to be born again. And other texts say you have to be born from above. There's this Greek word anothen that uh, seems to have both meanings, to to either be again, like a reduplication, or uh, from on high. This is the language used in our Greek Old Testament to describe the heights of the tabernacle. We learn that there are things that you usually look for that are significant and things that are not. If we're, if we're diving into the text, we're not going to look at every occurrence of the word 
and, right? It occurs like thousands and thousands of times in the scripture. We're not going to uh, usually look up every occurrence of the word uh, speaking, because it, I mean, it's just narrative after narrative that talks about t- people speaking. Uh, but we start to look for words that happen often, that have significance, that have a weight to them. And, and, and you can do this right in your Bible. You can sit and read a passage and go, huh, they're talking about, maybe if you're in Hebrews, they're talking about blood a lot and sacrifices a lot and priests a lot. If you're reading Ephesians, you're going to hear lots of language about imitation and uh, the way our life should be. If you're reading Romans, you're going to hear a lot about faith and justification. For most of my life, when I've read the Gospel of John, the word that has uh, stuck out is light and darkness. It, it's uh, kind of the, the central theme that many people have said uh, organizes John's Gospel. Uh, Jesus as light, darkness as kind of the state of the world outside him. Uh, the, the other kind of big way people look at it is through the lens of Passovers. Uh, there's three Passover stories in John that kind of give us uh, timelines in Jesus' life. Or, or we could look at it another way. We could divide the book into two, his public ministry, and then his private ministry from uh, Good, not Good Friday, from uh, that Last Supper onwards. This week, I found a word that is boring as all get out that occurs everywhere through the Gospel of John. I don't think I'm the first one who've noticed this, but no scholars make a big deal about this word. And this word is erkomai. It means to come or to go into. Nobody writes about the repetition of Erkamai in the Gospel of John, but it has blown me away this week because it's in the text that, that Jeremiah just read. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, uh, and blessed is he who is coming. So I, I started tracing this throughout the Gospel of John, and, and I'm, I'm going to do something different today. We're going to let the text of John speak about the significance of Jesus coming to us and us coming to him. Uh, not even... Uh, scratching the surface of all the number of occurrences, but it starts right in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who are born not of blood or the will of the flesh but of the will of man or of the will of man but of God we, we tend to focus on the first part of John's prologue uh, the, the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God but in this, this post John the Baptist uh, statement that, that the light is coming into the world and that those who come to him will find life in the light For John, the light is coming into the world, and we're invited to come to the light. Just a bit down the page, they've had the, the wedding in uh, Cana. They've, they've multiplied the wine. Jesus has done a few things, and 
uh, now there's calling of disciples. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One, one of the two heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. He brought Simon to Jesus and who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas. People come to Jesus. There's something about him that draws people to him in the middle of this ministry that is just really beginning to burgeon, that, that he does this one, uh, in the grand scheme of miracles, kind of minor miracle, right? Water into wine is nothing like some of the ones that are going to come. Uh, and people are intrigued. They've heard some stories. They've, they've got a glimmer of what's going on. And so they come to him. And then when they encounter him, they go and follow the light has come into the world, and people go and follow. A few weeks ago, we read uh, part of John 3, and we got to, For God thus loved the world that he gave us only sons, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe in, believe are already condemned, because they have not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do, hate, do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This light that has come into the world, this light of life, this light who draws people towards it, now illumines the state of, of the heart of those around. People who uh, don't come to Christ don't see the good. The ones who don't believe don't come into his light. But if you come, he will receive. Come to the light. So we've so seen clearly that your deeds have been done in God. The light of life has come Come in flesh. People were drawn to the light, and, and yet the light calls even more. Come. Come and find life. Jumping a, a few pages down to John 6, we read, After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews was near when he looked up and saw a large crowd following, uh, coming, towards him, coming towards him. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew that he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months' wage would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. 
Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down all about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he gave thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, and so also the fish as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so no one may be lost. So they gathered them up, and the fragments of the five barley loaves led by those who had eaten filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus realized they were about to come to take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The light of life has taken on flesh, has called people to him, and people have have been drawn to him. He does these mighty miracles that are unexplainable, and people recognize him to be the prophet of Israel's hope. He's the prophet that has come to us. And then they want to come and make him king. He's the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's the prophet of our hope. Let us come and get him. And yet Jesus knows his time isn't, uh, isn't at hand and he knows that his kingdom will look quite different. And so he retreats and, and goes off. And uh, later on in John 6, we pick up the story. Jesus said to him, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me, will, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose anything, nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and that I will raise them up on the last day. The light of life has taken on flesh, has called people to himself, and people flock to him. He has performed miracles that prove uh, who he is. And now standing in the great history of Israel's story, he said, "It, it was always God. God has sent me, and now whoever comes to me will never be hungry. God has sent me, and when you come to me, I will never send you away. When you come to me, that is enough. When you come to me, you don't have to do anything else except for come and stand in the light. The light of Christ has shown in the world. He has come in flesh. People are drawn to him. And dear friends love him. Jumping forward a few chapters to the Lazarus story, uh, we read, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up and she quickly went to him. She came to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where, Mary, where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up and quickly go out. They followed her because they thought some, she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he was greatly disturbed in his spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how much he loved him? But some of them said, could he not have, he who opened the blind man's eyes have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying around it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Jesus said, Lord, already there's a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing there, so they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The light of the world took on flesh, called people to himself and, and drew people near, people who would stay with him and follow him, who would see him perform miracles, who would begin to recognize that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming in the name of the Lord. And, and they would cling to him in the midst of the good and in the midst of the bad. Seemingly one of the closest families to Jesus asked, why didn't you come? We sent for you. We know you love Lazarus. Why didn't you come? Jesus says, do you believe? Even though you don't understand, do you believe? And they believed. And they went and they came to the tomb and Jesus called forth Lazarus, come out. In, in this passage, Jesus meets this family at the depths of their lamentation and grief and, and then surrounds them in this great moment of joy. Jesus' is coming is an invitation to be near him in the midst of the good and the bad to draw near when we need him to desperately come and to trust that he hears us, that ultimately he will make things right, that he will come 
at just the right time. This scene with Lazarus stirs up Israel. If it wasn't enough to turn water into wine, to heal the blind man, to multiply fishes and loaves, now to make this dead man come alive. Something is going on with this Jesus. And this is the, the fomenting of, of, of this, this energy that is going to become the Palm Sunday passion. This crowd is, is not sure about exactly what's going on with Jesus or what it looks like, but they know that he is the one. This crowd that came to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and sat on it as was written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The crowd came to him, and he came to them. Fulfilling the promises laid out in the Hebrew scriptures that, that God's new king would come riding on a colt. And they shout out Hosanna, which means God save us. They're, they're about to burst with hope, with anticipation, with questions of even what's going on. But they know that this one who is coming is what they've been hoping for. They wave their branches, they prepare the road, they set the stage for him to come. The light of the, the world, the light of God takes on flesh, calls people to himself, he draws them in, he uh, dwells deeply with friends, he goes and performs miracles, he draws others in in their times of grief and then rides into the center of town ready for people to know who he is. He's the one who we know is going to defeat death. Who we know is going to cancel the power of sin. He is going to be the one who dies and rises. As the gospel text says, uh, they didn't understand in the moment, but after he was glorified, they knew what he meant. They knew that though he wasn't the king of Israel's hope, though he wasn't uh, the king in David's line, he was the king they needed the king whose reign looked like death on a cross, the one whose uh, very coming changed the very uh, balance of humanity's existence, who reshaped God's promises from one nation to the world. Friends, Christ took on flesh. He came for you and I and invites us to come to him. I've heard a lot of you lately really excited about stuff, right? It's a joy-filled season in some ways. We're seeing uh, flowers burst forth. We're, we're getting a little bit of hope because of these shots. We're, we're uh, able to gather again together in little ways. We're getting ready to do uh, joy-filled things. And yet I know the desperation so many of you have too. Those moments where you feel like Mary and Martha going, where are you, Jesus? Why haven't you come? The gospel invitation is to cry out in the fullness of wherever you are. To enjoy to, enjoy to declare that Christ has come. That you are in the light. Things are good. 
And yet at the same time, the invitation is to cry out and say, God, I'm angry. And I don't understand why. Come. To, to sit in that awkward space like Mary and Martha and know that, that even as we believe that things can be made right, we might have to sit in death. God came and took on flesh. He came as the light of the world. And he came for you and he came for me. He came uh, for those we love and for those that we deeply struggle to love. He came for the good times and the bad. He came for us to shout in joy and he came for us to shout Hosanna, save us. Would you pray with me? For God so loved the world that you gave your only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You invited us to walk into your light and to have life. You invited us to come to you because you have come to us. And so Lord, whether we are at a point in our life that we're shouting with joy or whether we are crying out in desperation, we give thanks that you meet us. That ultimately we know the rest of the story and that you have come in the spirit to dwell with each of us and to abide. Lord, make it tangible how near you are. Make it palpable how close you surround us. And Lord, receive our shouts of joy and our cries, God save us. We love you and praise you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.